Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, the Rays' Austin Meadows start the All-Star game. And speaking of potential All-Stars, how impressive has Charlie Morton been for the Rays this season? And where does the power come from in Rays' home run leader, Brandon Lau? We'll discuss those subjects and more with Mark Tompkin, the Rays' beat writer for the Tampa Bay Times, who will join us in just a minute. And the Warriors managed to force a Game 6 with a one-point win over Toronto in the NBA Finals on Monday, but Kevin Durant suffered an Achilles injury after scoring 11 points in the first quarter. Who's to blame for Durant becoming more injured in his attempt to come back from a calf strain? We've got all of that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, are you ready for a magical day on the river with the manatees? Well, if so, seven days a week you can experience the wonder and magical charm with Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees in Crystal River. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. I have done this, folks. It should be on your bucket list. It's summertime. It's a perfect time to go. When you do... Ask about their $30 Manatee Bronze Tour. Be sure to ask about their free offer for active law enforcement officers. And U.S. military requires a purchase of two silver tickets at a regular price. After that, you're eligible for a free tour. Now, Captain Mike's is the number one customized Manatee Tour company at Kings Bay in Crystal River. It's pure paradise up there. You can ask about their pontoon boat rentals, their kayak rentals. they got bicycle rentals and so much more. Now, book online now at swimmingwiththemanatees.com, or you can call 352-777-1796. Mark Tompkin joins us now. And, Mark, uh, more than 16,000 or so watched the Rays on Monday night. I know many of them taking advantage of the $5 uh, ticket promotion. Uh, is that a good sign, and is it something the Rays may continue to do? And, and does does any way that say something about uh, price uh, maybe being as or or maybe in some cases more important to people than location? Well, I think it says a couple things, Rick. I, I do think there was good response, but not that great response to the $5 deal because they did not sell out. 5,000 They didn't tell us how many they sold, but they did not sell them all. There also were several thousand people. It was a salute to service, free uh-huh. uh, tickets for military, first responders, and teachers. So I'd be curious to yeah. see how Tuesday goes. I mean, Wednesday's a day game, a little different, but Tuesday night will be interesting. But I, I do think it raises a good point, which you just said, was we heard and we've heard so much from so many people this whole season about the location and weeknights and they can't go and it's impossible and, and for most of the area and all these dramatic tweets, but yet the price was lowered or free and people made it. And it was Monday night. It still is a weekday as far as I can tell. So I was a little <laughs> surprised that the like the people that were tweeting how this this solved their entire problem because they got 16,000 on a Monday night. So let's see. It's definitely better. It was definitely a good environment in the ballpark. But, you know, this is the same team that drew 8,000 and for three days and 9,000 for three days and 5,700 and 6,000 for two days in the last month and a half or so. So let's see where it goes. And as we tape this podcast, of course, uh, it is before – Tuesday night's game, um, and and as I said, they they wrap up a, a series as you listen to this today um, against the A's. All right, well, let's talk about this team because uh, entering uh, at least Tuesday night, they were in first place uh, in the American League East, 
and 17 games over 500. So pitching continues to be the strength of this team, Mark. Uh, I watched uh, Charlie Morton. He's on an unbelievable roll. Uh, he's allowed some base runners, but what what can pitchers learn about his ability to navigate those situations? Well, so it's so impressive, Rick, and just this, you know, that been there, done that attitude, and I, I thought it was fascinating and, and used a lot of it in the paper in, on Tuesday. And in Monday's game, I mean, he put two guys on in the first inning. He put two guys mm-hmm. on to start the third inning, or with one out, excuse me, in the third inning. And not only was he not rattled by that, he basically said, I didn't really care if I walked a guy. I mean, I, I'd lost my stuff. I had to figure out how to get my stuff back, and I had to get you know grooved back up a little bit here. And if it meant walking a guy, it's early in the game. It's nothing, nothing at that point. You give up a run, you know, just that attitude. I mean, what a what a difference from guys that you see just tense up out there, and and then it translates yeah. to their performance. So I thought it was a great lesson in, in being a veteran pitcher the way Charlie Morton navigated that. And then you know what? He was right because once he figured it out, he got the next 14 guys out, and there was really <laughs> no question. So, you know, I think he's just been a great example. It turns out to this point anyway, you know, look, he's still got, you know, two, it's a two-year deal, and injuries have been an issue in his career. You know, we're not even halfway through the first year yet, but what a signing in terms of what they wanted. They wanted a top-notch pitcher and a guy to provide some leadership for the staff, and they couldn't ask for anything more to this point on that deal. Yeah, he's been terrific, and uh, you can see the experience that comes into play. I think the younger pitchers can only benefit from that. You know, he credited uh, catcher Mike Zanino for calling a great game, and certainly he does that. Catching has been such a big story with the Rays and all the injuries they've had. But now Michael Perez is ready to come back. But Travis Darnot has, I guess, Mark, made the most of his opportunity. We knew he was a good catcher from the day he showed up, but I guess he sort of hit his way onto the roster, right? Yeah, it was interesting. You know, when he first got here, it was kind of a panic buy. I mean, they were trying to get somebody, literally just trying to get somebody who had some experience in here, and then they lost both Zanino and Perez and then to injury, and they didn't like what they saw from Nick Shufo that one night he caught. So, I mean, Travis Darno shows up off a red-eye flight that first day and kind of gets overwhelmed, but here, learn all these pitchers, learn how we do things, learn all this stuff, and, you know, from the from the defensive side, I think he picked up on it pretty quickly, did not hit well offensively initially, but you're right. He basically, you know, showed them what he could do and earned a spot to stay on this team. They didn't want to risk losing him. And I thought Kevin Cash, you know, made it pretty clear on Monday when he said, you know, he's done. It's been very good. And we want to see how this plays out a little bit. And, and you know, it's everyone else but Mikey Perez will see it this way, but it will be good for him to go to AAA and play every day. I mean, right. he wasn't going to play every day up here. And he knows going to be their main guy. And, you know, he's still a young guy. And I think when you're in the big league, no one wants to believe you need to go back to AAA to work on stuff or get more time behind the plate. But in his case, it'll be good. And Chufo's out for, you know, seven to nine weeks. He had thumb surgery last week. So, you know, I think the lesson learned, you need somebody at AAA you could turn to. You're always one foul tip away from a catcher injury. And now they would feel pretty good if something were to happen. Is any network I know where they know they've got Mikey Perez down there. Catching the hardest thing to find in baseball, and yet the Rays have used six to make it to the top of the American League East. Uh, they didn't get uh, Craig Kimbrell. He, he goes to the Cubs. Uh, I know they were uh, certainly in on that with uh, some pretty good offers. Um, do you still see them adding to the bullpen mark at some point? I do. I do, Rick. I think the one thing that's going to be curious to see, I mean, I think we're going to read and hear and see all kinds of rumors. I think they're going to be in on everybody going forward and you know, to different levels, but I'm getting the sense from talking to a couple of the Rays people, and this, you know, they had a similar mentality a few years ago. I remember having this conversation with Joe Madden too, but you know, it has to be a significant improvement. You know, I don't think marginal improvements 
you know, these guys that they have, you know, they know most of them are pretty good. They're maybe just not, you know, experienced enough or not good enough. But I think if they get some guys, they're going to be guys that either have been there and done it or have had some pretty good success uh, as part of that. So, yeah. you know, Kimbrough was obviously an elite level guy. But I, I, you know, my point is, I don't think you go from a guy who, you know, let's say you rate as a 75 to a guy you rate as a 76. Like if they're going to make an improvement, it's going to be, you know, an upgrade where you want the players in the room to realize why you got rid of their friend. Because the guy that right. comes in takes somebody else's job. That's the way Madden always put it. And I think that was an interesting context. And, you know, I do think the Raids have some money to spend. Obviously, the reports on how much they're willing to offer Kimbrell, $30 million over three years or maybe even more than that. So I think they'll take on some money. I think they've got some prospect inventory to deal with. I think that's been the plan all along. Stu Sternberg, the owner on opening day, said that was one of the things that, you know, they were looking to as they went into the season. I think, you know, it's an easy excuse also for the low payroll. They're really only paying about $52 million for what they have on the field. So to turn that around and say you can use that money to make additions during the year, we'll see if they do it. But it would be a way to, to kind of validate that and to help this team, assuming it stays in the race. And right now they're on top. So it couldn't really be in a much better spot, right? Exactly right. And uh, as we uh, as we do this on uh, on Tuesday afternoon, um, any updates on the status of Jose Alvarado? I know there's a personal situation. Would they expect him back sooner than later? Yeah, I mean, there had been some chatter he'd be back Monday or Tuesday. Then heard yesterday that wasn't going to be the case, but they do expect him back later this week. He's been in Venezuela. Um, you know, family and medical emergency list was all the information. You know, this is one of those where they kind of leave it up to the player to disclose what, yeah. if anything, they want to. I mean, you know, if you remember earlier this year, G-Man Choi was away for a couple of days and, mm-hmm. you know, he took the hit. You go on the restricted list, you don't get paid. So I think if you want any indication of this must be a serious matter, you know, a player who's giving up his pay, which we know they don't do willingly uh, mm. to be gone. I think that's a good reflection on, on whatever it is that's keeping Alvarado away. Uh, I do think he'll be back at some point this week. And then I think you probably have to raise the question of, does he have to be the like, option of the minors and go on a rehab assignment or something? Because, you know, he'll have been gone a week and a half now, and you know, I know that you know, most of the major league teams they still have facilities in Venezuela, but they've taken their staff out of there because of the political turmoil. So I don't think, and from I even think geographically where his family is and where their facility was, they're not close enough that you know he's over there working out every day. So maybe he's throwing with a friend or throwing at a ballpark in his neighborhood. But the Rays are probably going to want to have to take a look at him before they throw him right back out there anyway. They've benefited from some really good starting. Uh... You know performances, obviously, with Yanni Chirinos and others. Uh, but on the back end, you still have guys like Emilio Pagan that has come in. He's been virtually unhittable. So they still have some guys to turn to during sort of those high-leverage innings if they get into them. They do. And the guy they just brought up could be a real X factor here, Colin Poche. And, yes. You know, yes. Remember, we talked about him. He was the guy last year, and, and yeah, I'm not claiming that I'm the first one to call him this, but he was in several articles referred to as you know, maybe the most unhittable pitcher in the minors last year with the strikeouts and the uh, lack of hard contact and just the dominance he showed, he came over uh, from the Diamondbacks double-A team to the Rays double-A team and one of the players to be named later in the Steven Souza deal from last spring, moved up to triple-A with the Rays last year, had some remarkable numbers. There was a lot of excitement. There was some buzz coming into spring training that this is a guy who's going to you know pitch his way onto the team. He could really be a impact guy and then he went out there and he was just terrible in spring training i think he put too much pressure on himself i think he probably you know read or somebody told him about what everybody was saying and he was just not good at all so they they made a smart move they sent him out pretty early they put him at 
AAA. They let him pitch in different roles. They used him as an opener a couple times. They used him middle relief, late relief, stretched him out a little. Just, you know, try to get him comfortable. In the last month or so, he got in a pretty good groove, and he was brought up over the weekend in Boston. And, you know, these first two outings, the first outing, it was 21 of 24 pitches were strikes. I think 20 of his first 21. And last yeah. night he had the one, two, three, eight. He did have the walk in the ninth inning, but yeah, you know, I think he's thrown like 88% or something of his pitches so far for strikes in the big leagues. That's going to play up here and it's not overpowering, but it, it, they just don't see it. The hitters don't see it. It just doesn't, the delivery's a little funky. The release points far out there. I mean, I, the guys in spring training were referring to it as the invisible because the hitters don't, they don't know where it is. They swing and that's not where the ball is. So, he could really be an impact guy. I mean, I'm sure they're going to trust him with a one-run lead in the ninth yet or anything, but you know, another lefty, and then if you, you know, do get Alvarado back, he's the power lefty. Kalark's kind of the junk-balling lefty. And then Poche throws it over the plate, and they can't hit it. That's a pretty good combination to take on some of the tougher hitters in the league. And Poche can pitch through some right-handers, too. So you do have Pagan, like you said. He's been very impressive. Castillo has been a little inconsistent. I think that's fair to say. Alvarado, we know he's had his ups and downs. They're still going to get Chaz Rowe figured out a little bit. So there's yeah. still some you know, some work to be done, some room for improvement in that bullpen. But Poche is a guy, and I think by bringing him up now, it probably serves the purpose of getting a good feel for him before you really get into the trade market. Like, it, can this guy be a piece, or do we need to go get another piece? They can look at it that way. Yeah, really impressive start. He's got a lot of movement, and you mentioned the, uh, the release is different, and, and he throws high fastballs, which are hard to catch up to anyway. So he's been um... – He's been pretty impressive. Mark, I wanted to ask you, where does the power come from with Brandon Lau? <laughs> that's, that's been a good mystery, Rick, and something that I'm, I'm trying to explore a little bit, and, and hopefully we'll have a story on in the next couple of weeks or so in the Tampa Bay Times. But it, you look at him, and, and you know, it's, it's, I mean, he's sick of hearing this kind of joke, but, you know, he looks like a clubhouse kid when you see him in the locker room. And, you know, he's listed at 5'10 and 185. I'm pretty sure he's not either. Uh, but he is a guy who basically reinvented his swing and it's all timing up and it's all leverage point. It's not launch angle as much as it's hitting the ball out front. He gets a lot of backspin on it. He strikes out a ton because when he's off, he's off. I mean, it's, it's either mm-hmm. kind of locked in or not, but you know, we saw him put two balls into the seats in center field at Fenway park and Kevin cash. Who's both, you know, played there as a Red Sox player, as a visiting player, been a coach there when he was with Cleveland. He's been a manager of the Rays now in his fifth year. I mean, he's seen an awful lot of ball games at Fenway Park, and you know he said it before anyone else could even bring it up. You don't see a lot of balls hit out there into those seats. And no. Brett allowed it twice, same game. We saw him put the ball into the fifth deck at the Rogers Center, the Sky Dome, earlier this year. You know, an opposite field homer last night. So it's impressive, and it's just a, a real credit to him for taking you know the physical tools he have and combining that with the current training methods and the dedication to work this through and come up with a swing that when it's on, he does a good job. And you know what, before we move on, Chad Matola, the hitting coach, because Brandon said that when they were in Cleveland, he sat down with Chad. They spent a good bunch of time together. And Brandon said, I'm not happy with my swing. I don't think it's right. And he said, they mm. poured through video for quite a bit of time. And, and, you know, Brandon was right. And Chad identified the differences and they really worked on that. And, you know, since then, he obviously has been locked in a little bit more, and we're seeing it transfer both in the homers and I think also fewer strikeouts. Yeah, I mean, where he hits these home runs, it's one thing to hit home runs, but where he's hitting them just seems unbelievable. I mean, he's got obviously he's got great hands. He can let the ball get deep and, and hit it to all fields, but I've never seen a guy's, I don't know how to explain it, but like it's his hip turn 
is is in concert with his bat, and it just seems like he just explodes on it, you know, through his through his lower half. It's just really impressive to watch. No, exactly, and it is a little bit of a unique swing. And I, you know, in poking around a little bit, he does some unique training methods to get it all that way. But it is—it's like the total body. It's hard to you're right. It's hard to explain, but it's like the total body gets yeah. synced up, and that allows the the explosion of power, and then yeah. creates the lift and creates the backspin. Yeah, almost like a golfer in some ways. Only obviously with a ball that's not on a tee. Um, is Austin Meadows going to start the All Star game? Is that what I think? <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm going to say it's a little early for that, and that Mookie Betts guy is going to get a little bit of support from the Boston fans. You know what's funny, Rick, and you're you're of the same age as, as I am to relate to this. It used to be in the all-star voting, you'd kind of see what team was playing at home next, and you knew yeah. that player would get a surge in the voting because the ballots were at the ballpark, and you punched out That's those right. little holes in the ballots. Well, now it's all on this Internet thing, this electronic mm. crazy stuff here, and People, you know, all around the world are voting at any time of day and night and, and any sequencing. And MLB added a layer to this. They're trying to hype it up so there's going to be a primary voting and then the finalists will be in a new round of voting. So there's a long way to go for Austin Meadows to start the All-Star game. Now, does, does he deserve to? Should he be? Is he warranted as one of the three best outfielders in the American League at this point? Oh, I think yeah. all those are true. But yeah. I just don't know. I mean, we saw Corey Dickerson win a couple of years ago. It's not unheard of. It's not impossible for a Rays player to win the election. We've seen it a few times, but it's usually a little bit more challenging, and there's some pretty big-name outfielders. But that all being said, you know, Austin Meadows deserves to be on there, and if the fans don't get it right and name him a starter, you know, the players vote, and that's how the reserves are determined. And you'd think yeah. this would be a year where there would be more than one Rays player. So, you know, we've seen in the past, like one year, Longoria kind of got gypped out of it because – they had to take a pitcher, so he didn't get picked. They needed a pitcher to fill out the staff, and that's where they picked their Ray. I think in this year, there should be a couple guys. I mean, Charlie Morton and Austin Meadows, to me, seem pretty much like no-brainers. Right. No, I would agree with you. And, you know, he hasn't slowed down, even with uh, the couple weeks he missed there with the injury, but um, has has pitcher have pitchers adjusted to him? Has he had to adjust back? I mean, it just doesn't seem like anything's really slowing him down. No, it doesn't. And, you know, we were just about Brandon Lau, and with him it was pretty obvious. He was starting to get a whole bunch of breaking balls, and you could see that that was creating some problems for him, and he did have to make some adjustments. I, I don't know. Either they're not adjusting enough to Austin Meadows or he's just handling it in stride, but it doesn't seem to be a problem. And I think he's taken to that leadoff role a little bit. He seems to like, you know, getting up there in the first inning. And yeah. just a low-key a low key guy, and, you know, I, I mean, happy-go-lucky even doesn't even sound appropriate. I think he's a low-key guy who, you know, he's really enjoying the chance to do his job. He's doing it really well right now. He didn't get that opportunity on a consistent basis with the Pirates. And, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, neither did Tyler Glass now. They both got that opportunity with the Rays and, you know, Glass now, now being hurt, but really excelled once they got that chance. You mentioned Glass now just real quickly. Is, is uh, he expected back anytime soon? I mean, he's eligible to come back right after the All-Star break. Talking to him on Monday, he said he's throwing it a distance of about 75 feet the progression is to then go play catch at 90 feet for a few days and assuming yeah. all continues to go well then you get back on the mound so at this point i would think you do look at him at some point right after that all-star break which is the second weekend of july joey window is close and would this mean i know he's taking some balls at shortstop any chance willie adamas may have to step it up a little bit here I do think that he's going to get some time at shortstop. I, I don't think it'll be the roster spot at the expense of Willie Adamas. I think that'll either be uh, Christian Arroyo or Daniel Robertson who gets sent down. 
But I sure. do think that, you know, Joey Wendell's and, and the re- there's two reasons for that. One is because Joey Wendell's really good and you want to get him on the field, but Joey Wendell plays second base. Brandon Lau plays second base. Brandon Lau can't play other spots in the infield. They've used him at first a little bit. It's still a bit of a work in progress. But Joey Wendell can play third and short, third and short. So there's going to be opportunities there to keep Brandon Lau at second and get Joey Wendell in the lineup at third and short. And, you know, if he gets on a hot streak and, you know, he's a lefty swinger, they face a lot of right-handed pitchers, I think the opportunity for a lot of playing time is going to be there. And, you know, like I said, whether the roster spot comes to the expense of Robertson Arroyo, but I think there'll be some time off for Willie Adamas. I mean, he just had a one-for-16 weekend with nine strikeouts in Boston. I mean, he played all four games. Maybe that wasn't the wise decision from, you know, the coaching staff side, but that's a pretty rough weekend right there. Yeah, it really is. Um, I'll, I'll say this, Mark. Uh, I, you know, I've watched Kevin Kiermaier play a lot of baseball, and we know he's a great defender. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, now he's showing up in big moments at the plate, not just showing up, but in big moments. Have you seen him play better than he's playing right now, all, all things considered? Huh, it's an interesting way to look at it, Rick. I hadn't put it in that context, but you know he's been swinging the bat better the last few weeks. We know the defense is good. I mean, he had that one, you know, a couple of years ago where he had that one, two or three week period where he was kind of in a defensive slump. But the defense has been good. I think you're seeing him. He's taking a little bit of a leadership role with the team. I think you're seeing him, you know, kind of assert himself a little bit. I think he is his preparation, his focus during the games. You just see him; he's locked in on every pitch. I mean, I think he's really, you know, kind of seeing the opportunity here to lead this team to where it wants to get to and the combination he had a great you know example last night of talking about how you you make that catch he did in the seventh inning you come running off the field you get the big ovation from the fans your teammates are all over you and then you get up and you you hit a home run and you know two batters later i mean he said that was you know one of the best innings of the year for him and you could kind of see the feeling and see the see why he felt that way mark you were in boston where the rays you know they won three out of four and that was such i think a critical series for them uh, going against the defending world champs. But is this now, in your mind, is this a two-team race? I mean, are we looking at the Yankees and the Rays, or do you th- or do you think the Red Sox have enough time to jump back in this thing? I do think the Red Sox have time to jump back in, and I think they will. And I think, you know, they, they've obviously got the resources to make whatever moves they need to make and, and not be on that group to, to shake things up if they need to. I mean, they, they've got some guys that are just not on the field, and when they are on the field, not performing well, and whether it's injury, it's inconsistencies, you know, and then obviously the bar is so high up there, you know, people boo those players for things that, you know, really weren't, weren't warranted of being booed for even over the weekend. But I do think they're going to make another run. And I think the Rays are well aware of that. But on the other hand, you know, at this point, they've got what seven games, I think ahead of the Red Sox. They are yeah. just ahead of the Yankees, you know, pending what happens today, but neck and neck with the Yankees a little bit. And, you know, they're all going to beat up on each other going forward. The thing with the Rays is they play the Yankees, uh, on this upcoming road trip, then they play him back at the Trop shortly after that. They don't see him again for a long time. So you know, the opportunity to, to kind of beat up on these teams or beat them when you can is here now, and the Rays need to do that while they're hot and then see what happens as it unfolds. But I, I do think the Red Sox are going to have another run in them and, and get back into this thing to a certain degree for sure. 
I've read stories everywhere. The New York Times, Sports Illustrated, about the Rays. I, I think the rest of baseball is well aware of what this team is doing. They're getting finally, perhaps maybe not in the terms of their crowd size, obviously, locally, but, I mean, nationally, people know what this baseball team is accomplishing, right? I think so, and I think it's becoming evident. I mean, they're not getting a lot of love uh, nationally broadcast-wise. I mean, they still haven't had a game picked up you know, by right. Fox or by ESPN and you know, no mm-hmm. Sunday night games or anything like that. I don't think they've even been like the Monday or Wednesday game of the week on ESPN. So I think there is yeah. still a bit of a lag there. And, and you know, I know there's been some print stories, and obviously we, we all are, are partial to print stories and the New York Times and some online stuff. But I, I do think that, you know, TV is what drives – uh, interest for a lot of people right now and you know the fact that they haven't had a game picked up it's a little surprising but i also think that's a factor in people realizing who these guys are and who some of these guys are i mean i've you know been quibbling with a few people on twitter about attendance but also people saying you know who who is this team and you know even jeff passing from espn earlier in the season said you know can you name five rays and you know I, I think most baseball fans could name five rays and maybe ten's a little different story and yeah, you know, I think mm-hmm. there's kind of a responsibility nationally, you know, for the the networks or at least with them urging from the you know, Rays or baseball or whoever to get get them a little bit of attention here going forward. Okay, thanks, Mark. You got it, guys. Yeah, it is. I didn't realize that, but Mark is right. There's not been a national TV game. You would think you would see, you know, Joe Buck and those guys on a Saturday afternoon or um, somebody maybe on a Monday night baseball with Alex Rod- Alex Rodriguez and, and and such, but it hasn't happened. It will at some point though if they keep staying atop the American League East. It'll be a while before they play the Yankees. Maybe that's what it'll take is for them to play the Yankees uh, before they get on national TV. But certainly uh, the baseball media, uh, again, uh, you know, reading stories in the New York Times and other places have woken up to the fact that, uh, you know, the Rays just continue to win and, and do things in a unique fashion. So, well, I think you're uh, seeing I'm a lot sure. of the New York writers who assume that Boston's going to be the other team that competes with the Yankees, realizing that the Rays aren't going anywhere. And, and they know that. I mean, the respect that this organization has in baseball is tremendous. Oh, yeah. Um, it hasn't, you know, whether it's the attendance here or just because it's Tampa Bay and, and no one expects Tampa Bay to be any good. And, you know, last year they were tanking and won 90 games that, you know, they don't pay attention to them. But the people inside baseball and in the media, they know the networks just don't want to pick up the games. Right. Right, and that's that's more of a regional thing and audience and things like that. But no, I would agree with you. I mean, out of necessity, this this franchise has ma- managed to stay competitive, and in some ways, you know, set trends all through baseball, no matter what market you're in. And they have to keep doing it because they lose their edge uh, as other teams kind of duplicate what they do. Um, but it's been it's been remarkable to watch, and I, I think people don't realize the genius um, that is that's occurring here sometimes with this baseball team. Um, which is outspent sometimes three to one. So, um, you know, it is it is something that's admired in baseball. You're absolutely right about that. It's not, only, it's get, not uh, only the spending, uh, though, but they also find guys, whether it's Avisail Garcia, they find free agents every year that they turn around and have, you know, near mm-hmm. career-type years. And, you know, it, going back to, you know, the first one I remember from moving to town was Jeff Kepinger. He came here, batted something like 320. And yeah. had a career year, and then went elsewhere, and, and didn't duplicate that success. That this organization, more than most organizations, and I can't think of one that even comes close, of putting players in positions to succeed over and over and over again, and not putting well, them in positions it, where they're going to fail. I mean, Kevin Kiermeyer, you know, people will complain he gets days off. Well, against the tough lefties, they they give him a day off so he doesn't ruin his swing or get in his head, and and doesn't hurt himself further. As far as you know, okay, I'm trying to adjust because I know I don't hit this left hander very well. 
So instead, they sit them. And, and, and th- all those little things they do help, from the matchups to just ev- everything they do about it, it, It's all thought out and planned of what they do. Now, you know, ultimately the player has to perform and, and execute, but they handle those minute details to put players in best positions to succeed more often than not. Yeah, I think Kepinger is the uh, the absolute poster boy for for that in terms of you know the year he had hitting mostly almost exclusively at times against left-handers, and if you ask you know Joe Madden and other people at the time, like you know well the guy's hitting so well why doesn't he play every day? It's like well because you know the reason he's hitting so well is we put him in favorable matchups. Now credit to him for taking advantage of them, um, but then you go to the Chicago White Sox where they want you to play every day, and all of a sudden you don't have that same success. So. Um, you know, that's to your point that they have managed to, uh, to, to, you know, take advantage of those matchups and, and put them in their players' favor. Uh, I wanted to get in just real quickly uh, to what happened in Game 5 of the NBA Finals. Of course, Kevin Durant, who had not played uh, since suffering a calf injury, had not played in the NBA Finals, managed to make it into Game 5. Started out really good. I mean, the guy hit his first two shots were three-pointers. He scored 11 points, had a couple rebounds in the first quarter of that game, but they went to make a, uh, you know, a solid move, kind of a spin move uh, off a dribble, uh, you know, that, that leg gave out in, in what appears to be either a torn Achilles as we take this podcast or an Achilles injury anyway, and he, of course, is uh, not going to play the remainder of this series. In fact, he was going to become a free agent, and now there's some concern about whether he'll play it all next year if it is, in fact, uh, a ruptured or torn Achilles. So, you know, this goes uh, back to, and I know their GM sort of, you know, said, hey, you know, everybody wants to blame somebody. That's the society we live in, right, is that somebody must be responsible. But there were a lot of voices and a lot of pundits out there talking about how, oh, Kevin Durant, you know, how can he sit out? It's a finals, you know, you, you know, you got to suck it up. Uh, you know, you know would, would other players have done this? He's a free agent next year. Maybe he's, you know, just protecting himself, that sort of thing. And they couldn't have been more wrong. They could not have been more wrong, and Kevin Durant proved that. And, and neither are the Golden State Warriors what they should be without Kevin Durant. He is, in my opinion, I know LeBron James, you know, pound for pound, maybe some of the things he can do uh, from a physical nature is, is, is freakish, and some people still think he's the best player in the world. I happen to think it's Kevin Durant. And, you know, he, he's won the last two MVPs of the NBA Finals, and there's a reason why they're struggling without him. And... You know, he did not, for his future, for his, um, you know, pending free agency and all kinds of reasons, did not have to come out and try to make it back onto that basketball court, but he did. And he did it with the blessings and the, uh, you know, advice and recommendation of the medical staff. I mean, Steve Kerr came out and said that, you know, we were told uh, by the experts, by the medical experts, that he could not hurt his leg worse, you know, that it couldn't get worse as a result of him playing. Maybe he would have another issue, but this certainly would fall on the side of worse if it's an Achilles injury. Uh, and the Achilles, of course, is, is attached to the calf. And so there's, there's obviously, um, you know, a lot of reasons why those injuries are related. Um, but I just think it's interesting. And one of the things that this highlights for me, because I hear this all the time from fans, Steve, is that people are, 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 are fans, right? And they don't understand sometimes, uh, you know, sort of the elite level that these, these athletes are to play and excel, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA, right? Because everything is relative. They see them going up against players of, of like skill sets, and they think, well, this guy doesn't dominate, therefore he's this, this guy is the best, so on and so forth. And I get all that. But you often hear, and I have heard it in football a lot, 
uh, whether it was Joe McCoy or whomever that people talk about is like, well, this guy isn't very tough. You know, this guy uh, is 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 soft or this guy, you know, when they talk about injuries in particular, you know, um, they, they make it sound as if they don't want to play or there's something wrong um, that they get injured. And I think the biggest mistake that fans make is is trying to assign toughness based on injury. You know, athletes get injured and they all want to play. I don't think there's a guy that wants to play basketball more than Kevin Durant. It's all he's ever done. And it's 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 created this opportunity for him and his family. He wants to play all the time. And I think that's true of most guys. I've never met an athlete at the highest level that didn't want to be on the field with his teammates. And if there was any way they could get on there, now you have, you know, you have to listen to the people that are telling you it's not safe, you know, and if they tell you you can't go, then you can't go. And, yes, there are some athletes that want second opinions and sometimes don't trust necessarily the opinion that they're getting from the team. Um, but all that aside, I think, I think with Durant, people did a huge disservice to him. And he, he's overly sensitive sometimes on social media and things like this anyway. Um, but this guy, I mean, at tremendous risk and something that may wind up costing him a season, went out there and tried – in a series that they were trailing three games to one. No, no guarantee even if they win game five, they're going to come back and win the series, much less that he's going to be able to play. But I think it highlights that, that problem for me. Well, and, and you know, first of all, you hope that the doctors gave him a, an honest, fair evaluation of his leg. Now that, sure. <clears throat> excuse me, now that we know afterwards you know, he, he potentially ruptured his Achilles playing. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean it's because of the calf injury. It may have nothing to do with it, but – you hope that, that he got a fair, honest assessment from the doctors. You have no reason not to think that. But otherwise, right. the rest of it's noise. I mean, until the yeah. doctors say you can go, it doesn't matter anyway. Right. I mean, right. Wh- whether Durant wanted to go or not has no bearing if the doctors are saying you can't, you can't play. But That's true. players want to play. I mean, I know in baseball there's been a few times where players aren't really as injured as they say, but it's mostly because they're going to get sent down the minors, so they go on the disabled list at the major league level instead. And... Mm-hmm. You know, so that they're getting major league pay instead of minor league pay. That's a rare exception, and that's that's a player that's a borderline player. But star players, they want to play. That's what they they want to play. They want to win. They want to compete. That's that's all they've ever done. That's all they've ever known. That's what they do. They want to compete at the highest levels and and show that they're the best. And Kevin Durant, no question in my mind, wanted to play this whole series. And and you know, but you have to do the fact that he came out and played shows you what a what a teammate he can be. Because he could have easily said, look, I'm not ready. Even if the doctors cleared him, he could have easily said with this calf injury, knowing his free agency and all this, that, that he didn't have to play. But he didn't. He went out and played. And, and, and maybe he's going to cost himself free agency in, in part of his career. Who knows? Hopefully not. Because he's one of the best players in the world. I mean, he's right up there with LeBron and Kawhi Leonard's making quite a case this postseason, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, softness isn't – when you're hurt, it's not soft. And, and I think that gets, you know, Vita Vea kind of got labeled that at the beginning of last season for the Bucks. Yeah. He was, he was hurt. If you're hurt, mm-hmm. you can't play. You cannot play at the, perform at the level that, that you're expecting to and that you know you can perform at. And especially if the doctors aren't clearing you, then there's nothing you can do. It's not being soft because you're hurt. Injuries right. happen all the time. Yeah, and this just highlights it for me. And, and like I said, I mean, there is a lot of, back and forth and and people get paid to talk on tv and 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 write newspaper columns or columns on 
online. I get all that. And some guys, you know, some, some ladies or men just, you know, decide to take the position of, um, you know, to, to be provocative. And we know there's a lot of Skip Baylesses and, and people out there that, you know, have turned it into a multi, multi, multi-million dollar career. And you know what? Congratulations to them. Whether they believe half of what they say or not, who knows? Um, but ESPN sure likes them, and so they keep putting them on the air. Same is true with Stephen A. and all of that. Um, but I just think, you know, what, what, what I want to emphasize to, to fans, because I've done this uh, at least in the, you know, covering the football side of it, um, and I played baseball too, is that there's virtually no one makes it to a certain level without being one of the most competitive people on the planet because it's too hard. You know, you go out for your, your junior high basketball team, and let me tell you, um, there's, you know, maybe 50 guys out there and they need 10 players, okay? So, uh, you know, you're, you're the dude from, from seventh grade or sixth grade looking at the, the list on the door to see if your name is there, and it's an anxious moment. But I guarantee you during that three-day tryout, you were laying it all out on that court trying to make that basketball team. And so as you progress through that, imagine what it takes to, to become a professional athlete. I can tell you it's one of the hardest things in the world because I couldn't do it um, and would have loved to have played. But, uh, you know, for, for people to see people that have made it to the highest rung of the ladder and, and think that there is something um, that is not – that there's not a competitive bone. Now, are some people more demonstrative in how they compete? Are some people the most competitive among the most competitive? Yes, Obviously, there's different levels uh, even among NBA or NFL or Major League Baseball players. Uh, and that's we call those guys superstars, and they put rings on their fingers. And so that's just how that goes. But um, I, I think that fans are, are sometimes way too prone um, to label these athletes. And, and the fact of the matter is, and I think Durant demonstrated that, you know, in Game 5, that, uh, you know, that he wanted more to be out there for his team uh, and even said afterwards on social media, he was talking about how, how hurt he was uh, emotionally, obviously, after something like that, but just how how proud he was that his team found a way, um, despite losing him after a quarter or so, to, to win that game, you know, and showed the heart of a champion and all that stuff. So it's corny. It, I mean, you know, some of that people don't get, but I, I think that that was a, a, dem- a clear demonstration uh, of how wrong people can be to, to label an athlete um, something other than competitive or to, to call them soft because of injuries. Injuries, injuries happen. You know, that, that's that's just part of the game, and, and you deal with them and you move on. And if you're lucky, it won't cost you a career. But, um, you know, anyway, that's what happened. So we got game seven now for the Stanley Cup final. Boston hosting St. Louis. What do you think, Steve? Does Do the Bruins host uh, hoist yet another Stanley Cup? Well, in this series so far, I, I was reading today, the even strength, the goals are 13-13. It's been pretty evenly played. But Boston right. is leading 8-1 to one in the in special teams, including a shorthanded wow. goal. Wow. Wow. And, you know, now the series is tied 3-3, but, you know, it's been a pretty even series. The home team, you got to assume, is going to maybe get an extra call or two at, ho- at home, although I know the officials like to swallow the whistles in Game 7s because uh, mm-hmm. they don't want to decide it. So if, if St. Louis can avoid penalty kills – I think they can win this, but I ultimately mm. think Boston's going to win. Yeah, I think you're right. And boy, you, you you know you look back at the end of the regular season and what what the Lightning. I sorry, I can't I can't stop thinking about the Lightning and and what they did to Boston late in the year. And um, here the Bruins are, um, you know, closing it out, closing out the Stanley Cup final. So, but I'll tell you, if St. Louis a- wins this, what a story! Because on January third, oh. 
They were in last place in hockey. Last in all of hockey. I mean, that's uh, there's not been a story like that. It's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It really is. That's about halfway through the season. They were last place. Mm. And they're in the Stanley Cup final. And if they were to win Game 7, that would be a heck of a story. Hey, folks, remember now we're going to have our very popular mailbag segment tomorrow. You still have plenty of time to get your questions in. Uh, here's how you do it. Just go on Twitter, submit those uh, to our uh, Twitter feed at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. And we will read those and uh, make you famous. Get your name on there if you have a good question that we use. Uh, and we're already getting some in, so um, we got plenty of time. It can be about anything, the Bucks, the Rays, the Lightning, um, college football, whatever you have, bring it to us. The Rays uh, wrap up their series against the A's this afternoon. They got a, a businessman special there at the Trop, so you want to make sure uh, that you try to get down and be on hand for that or, or watch it on television, and we'll see how the Rays can finish out that series before they begin a weekend series against the Angels. And remember now, uh, if you get a chance to do this, folks, I've done this. I've gone up to – Kings Bay, and I have swum with the manatees. This should be on your bucket list, but Captain Mike's Swimming with the Manatees, that's the number one customized manatee tour company in Crystal River in Kings Bay up there, and it really is paradise. You can ask about their pontoon boat rentals. They also got kayak rentals. They got bicycle rentals. So much more for the whole family. So book online now at swimmingwiththemanatees.com, or you can call 352-777-1796. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. 